Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Now to the preaching of his word, let us uh, pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, help us now as we consider uh, what true happiness is. And dear God, uh, help us as we are just now scratching the surface of this uh, most deep topic. Help us, Lord, to at least get a sense of what is the most powerful, the most driving source of happiness, Lord, in all of existence. Dear God, give us minds that understand, hearts that are passionate, Lord, to to love, to believe. And dear God, help us. Give us hands and feet that obey. I decrease that you may increase. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Saints of God, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we, uh, in, in a certain way, continue our study through the Apocalypse of John. Uh, we have read from chapter 21, verse 1, so there is at least a, a launching pad for what we will be discussing this morning and what we, what we will be considering this morning. Uh, let me say, as we prepare to move forward... This morning we are going to to start really high and then slowly begin to to land really low. And then by God's grace, I pray, go back up again, but but not as high, I think, as we could go. Instead, we are, and I don't want to like discount what we're doing today, but I think that next week with Pastor Isaiah's sermon, we will go even higher than where I will end this, this morning. So let's keep that in mind. Let me also say that there is so much to deal with in this particular subject topic that we're going to be dealing with this morning that I, that I am merely, uh, and maybe not even doing that, just barely scratching the surface. There's so, let's get into this. Last Lord's Day, last Lord's Day, I had made the point from uh, verse one that in the new, in the new heaven and the new earth, Earth itself will not be destroyed. Rather, there will be a proper ordering of earth as heaven and earth are joined to one, as one. The proper ordering of earth begins with the removal of sin. The proper ordering of earth begins with the removal of sin. Sin is destroyed. This is the meaning of the sea being no more. Uh, Ask me more about the sea, because there's some other interesting things that are that are said by other um, scholars that I think are interesting. The new creation is this joining, merging, or combining of heaven and earth, wherein God will tabernacle, make his home among men in, in, in the most... Um, in the most complete sense of making his home among us, we will be his people. He shall be our God. It's probably the other way around. God will be our God. We will be his people. Nothing will compete. That's probably the reason how we understand this. Nothing will compete with that divine union 
as it is competing with the divine union right now. We, we have been empowered now to walk the, in the divine life, in the blessed life, but there are, there, are, there are competitors to that walk. There are things that are opposing us in that walk. In the new creation, I've said this before, nothing will oppose us in that walk. The highest joy of this merging between heaven and earth is that we will see God. The highest joy is that we will see God. It may be the only joy. But let's say that. There may be other joys, but, but let's just say, if that's the only joy, then that's good enough. It will be the highest. It will, all other joys will be, will be engulfed, encompassed by that great joy. There may be others. I don't know. I think I do know. But that's the one that, the one that we want to center our attention on. In seeing God, we will know supreme blessedness. In seeing God, we will know supreme blessedness. You've heard your elders use the word often, I think, beatitude. When you hear the word beatitude, what do you immediately, where, where does your mind immediately go to when you think, when you hear the word beatitude? I hope that your mind immediately goes to Christ's Sermon on the Mount, where our Lord begins to unveil what the most blessed life looks like. In fact, our Lord begins that two and a half chapter long sermon with a series of declarations of blessedness for those whose appetite is for God's kingdom and not for the kingdom of the world, Babylon. You with me? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, blessed, the Lord says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Our Lord begins to Pull back the curtain of what a really blessed life looks like. It's the life of the attitude. And it doesn't just, it doesn't begin in chapter 5, verse 3, and then end around 11 or 12. It's that entire two chapters, two and a half chapters, Christ is communicating this is the life of blessedness, or this is the life of the attitude. Here now, and will be completed in the new creation. I hope that you're with me. Just as Pastor Isaiah preached wonderfully last Lord's Day, you don't need to wait in order to live the blessed life. You live blessed life now. You pursue blessed life. I'm going to do this blessed life, beatitude, um, happiness. I'm going to use it. That's all on the same playing field. So you live beatitude now, blessedness now. Beatitude is something that we, we live now. We live as merciful people. When you are merciful, you are showing that you are living the life of beatitude, blessedness. When you are a peacemaker, you are living life blessed. You are living the, the, the good kind of life. We could say the God kind of life, the life of beatitude. When you are not bent on war and conflict... You are living the blessed life. When you are hungry for conflict, hungry for war, you are not living the blessed life. 
We live Beatitude now. Even though, and here's the challenge, living Beatitude is, is opposed. Living a good, happy life is being opposed right now. Satan does not want you to live a good, happy life. Little ones, Satan doesn't want you to live a good, happy life. He doesn't want you to live Beatitude. He doesn't want you to enjoy your best life. But in the new creation, we shall, without end, without sin, we shall know perfect beatitude, the perfect blessed life. Let me go back. But it doesn't mean you can't start now. There's a type of endurance, a type of persevering, a type of pressing on in spite of opposition and also thanking God for opposition because God uses opposition to conform you to his son to make you like Christ, thanking God for even opposition. Because it is being used by God to perfect us. And then, upon the great vision that we have in God, we shall be granted full, perfect blessedness um, without opposition. Now, we enjoy it now, but Paul will say we enjoy it through a glass dimly. We are enjoying um, the good kind of life. We have it in part, but, but in the new creation, we will have it in full. Today, as you come and gather for worship, you are getting a, a, a taste of a, you are getting a taste of the new creation. L- let me ask you, how does, how does it taste? Let me pause for a second, and maybe I'll go back to it later for, for the kids. Ask your children. How are you in... Is church, is church a blessing to you? And if they go, no, I encourage you. Be a, a vigilant evangelist to them. And show them the goodness of even what we're doing now. We'll get more to that in a moment, I think. The purpose or the pursuit of God and the life that God has called his people to live, it can be challenging because there are so many things that are that are um, opposing us, opposing our pursuit of God, but also so many things that are calling out to us to find blessedness in other places. This is not new to you. There are things that are coming at you to prevent you from finding perfect happiness, we'll get to that, in Christ. But there are also other things that are calling out to you to say, you can find it here. And in a more complete, satisfying way. And and here's the thing, I'm going to say this to all people who have ears to hear, young to old. Here's the challenge, I'm going to talk to the young people really quick. Here's the challenge, young people. The challenge is that we look at some of these things and they're not actually bad. You look at some of the things that are calling out to you and you go, but that's, is that a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing, which we'll get to in a moment. It's just not the best thing. There are other good things out, out here, outside of these walls. There are other good things. You can think of good things that you could be doing right now, right? Is it the best thing? Last week we considered 
And I hope that none of us were saddened by it, but we, were, we, we considered mountains, trees, oceans, valleys, stars, sun, moon. How they are all good because they have a reason for their existing, and that is to, to tell in a silent manner of the goodness and glory of God. They give man a sense of, of God's divine power. They give man a sense of God's beauty, of his kindness, of his love. And they call us to reach out not to them, but to him. But they are good. Here's the thing we said last week. The primary reason why they exist is to point us to God. Because in the new creation, well, and in the new creation, they won't be present. Because nothing will need to call us to to give God glory, we will be with Him. We will behold Him. We will give Him glory with none of these other things distracting us. And they're not really meant to distract us. They're meant to actually point us to Him. It's because of our pollution of sin that we allow them to distract us. We also learned, secondarily, that creation exists to sustain man. So that we can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. God gave man all of creation. Now here we got like to general plants, I mean to mountains, trees, to then more specific. We're going downward, right? To plants and animals and water, etc. Those have been created to sustain our life in such a way so that we would eat and not die and in living Give our lives to God in, in glory, in praise. Find joy in Him. You with me? Okay. <clears throat> it is according to man's proper order to eat. Let me say this, and we all know this, right? Food is good. Drinks are good. You all have drinks by you. They are good. But they're not the highest good. They're meant to sustain us so that we can give ourselves to the highest good. In fact, we talked about last week that it, it would be a sin for you not to eat. It would be a sin for you not to drink. Because in not eating and not drinking, we are disregarding our body. We're not honoring it and caring for it. Paul says in Ephesians 5, no one hates his flesh. We nourish it. This is good. Um, I think it's in 2 Timothy. Paul even says, even exercise is good. But it's not the highest good. Food is good. And some of us... Some of us love. Some of us can be okay with just give me a taco. I'm okay. My mom says just give me an avocado, give me a tortilla and some eggs. I'm okay. Some of us would say I can't live that way. I need something savory. I need something sweet. Some of us are, are, are food connoisseurs, right? We love food. Some of us don't really care. Just It's just the same. But we have other things that we love. Plants, food. Plants give us food, animals give us food, water gives us drink, and then we can, from that, make other drinks. They are good, but they're not the highest good. Food of God's creation sustains man, so that man can work out his vocation. When God created man, he sets him on this road of potential. Potential to rise to immortality, which will equal blessed, the blessed life, or to fall short of the glory of God by disobedience, which results in death. We know this, yeah? Paul describes what we will be. You heard this last, but I'm, I'm, we're leading to something. Paul describes in what we will be in the new creation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. We will be changed. 
In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be raised imperishable, we will be changed for the perishable, Paul says, must put on imperishable, this mortal must put on immortality. Paul says that there will come a time when the things that sustain us so that we won't perish won't be necessary any longer. Here's my point. Therefore, you can't find your highest joy in them because there will be a time when they will not exist. They won't be needed. They are needed now to sustain you so that you can give yourself to the highest good. They are not the highest good. Our bodies will be different. We'll go from mortal to immortal, perishable uh, to imperishable. We presently need these things, but why do we need them? They're good, but why are they good? Because they do something for you so that you can do something. In the new creation, we won't be dependent upon those things. God will be our source. He will sustain us. He will be our, our all in all. We're getting to a point now of this. We start to start following this, this, this trail of, well then, what am I doing here? What, what is it all for? It's interesting that what we, we ask our kids, the first question of the catechism is this, who made you? Isn't it, of all the questions that could be asked, the question is, who made you? And then, and then here's the second question. Well, and, and what else I got? But, but the, it eventually leads to the third. Why? God is, is the, the one cause of you and then the cause of all things. But why? The point of last week's sermon was this. <clears throat> I don't know what Anthony titled the sermon was, but it was this. Loosen our grip on the, on the temporary things. So that we might, with open hands, now reach out to that which is eternal God. But why? Well, because God made you. Why am I reaching out to the one who made me? He's the cause. Why am I reaching out to him? Why am I here? Um, here's, here's the end goal. And then we're going to break our way. So we're, we're going up. We're starting to come down a little bit. Behold, the tabernacle of men... Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. They shall be his people. He himself will be their God and live among them. That's the end point. Why do you exist? Why did God make you in all things? For his glory. The, the, older, the, older, um, the older, older catechisms might say, why did God make you? Why did God make you in all things? It, why are you here? It's to, to love him and to enjoy him forever. So today I'd like to consider this very short thing, I think, which again is just scratching the surface. What's the purpose of life? I'd like to take this idea of blessedness a step further and, and just consider, and they, they're going to be short, why you exist, the purpose of your life. Last week, we, we discussed the reason why earth exists, why things within the earth exist. You are a thing within the earth. Why do you exist? Here it is. Number one, happiness. Happiness. Um, I'm, these are coming from two launching verses. I, I didn't read the other one in the beginning, but Psalm 17, 13 through 15 
Psalm 17, 13 through 15. We will eventually read that verse. Psalm 17, 13 through 15. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, what's the purpose of your life? From the youngest to the oldest, why do you exist? Let's do it this way. What kind of life should you be striving for? Or what things in life should you be pursuing? And for what reason? Not new questions at all. These are questions that have been asked by various people in in a variety of ways. The question of reason is what what we're asking. Purpose is what we're asking. Uh, It's a question that regardless of your age, your social status, or location, it matters. Um, Years ago, there was a book called The Purpose Driven Life. It's still a book that is still a bestseller today because everybody wants to know this one question. Why am I here? What's the purpose and meaning of life? Even if you don't agree with Rick Warren, the question, it resonates with all of us. And also, we want to live lives that are purposeful. Some of us may even remember the point and the moment in our lives when we begin to question or grapple with, why am I here? You may have been really young. I remember when I was in sixth grade, maybe it was fifth, uh, fifth or sixth grade, I remember sitting in class and I was looking at my hand and I was saying to myself, I'm actually here. This is not a dream. That guy's really, it was a teacher. He's really talking. I'm really listening. What is going on? I was having this kind of matrix moment. Where am I? And the question that follows, then, why am I here? I am actually here, but why? It may sound like a philosophical question, and it actually is, but it has a theological answer. Let's work toward that theological answer. Now we're going low and we're going to go up. We are people of purpose, aren't we? We seek to find reason in all that we do. There is an end goal to all the things that we do. You you may not think so. You may just think, I'm just going along in life. There's reasons why you do everything, even getting in your car today, even babysitting your grandkids, um, even tying your shoe. All of these things have a reason and purpose. We are image bearers of God. And for that reason, we act with a certain kind of reason. There's a certain kind of reasoning, a process that we walk through as we act. We are rational creatures that reason toward a specific end or a specific goal. You want to attain something. Take the average student. Ask them, what is your purpose? Or you might even ask him, what is a normal day like for you? Now, I know this isn't all students across the board, but generally, typically, right? They might say, well, I get out of bed. Well, why do you get out of bed? Because I have to go to school. Well, why do you have to go to school? I have to go to school because I have to get good grades. Why do I have to get good grades? Because I have to graduate. Why do you have to graduate? Because I believe that me graduating and doing well in school is linked to me getting a good job. Well, why do you need a good job? Because if I have a good job, I can get a a car. Whatever kind of car. I can get a car. There are some kids right now, maybe even your little ones who are sitting next to you and going, I can't wait to get a car. I can't wait to get a car. They they think a car is going to do something for them, right? I can't. 
16, 17? Mom, Dad, would you teach me how to drive? Where are they going to go? Where, where do they, they have a goal in their mind of thinking they're going to go somewhere that's going to give them something. Well, first thing, it's going to give them freedom from you for just a moment. They're going to think, I don't need you to go here. I can go where I can go wherever I want, right? I, okay, car. Well, why do you need a car? Because that car will eventually drive me to a home, which will eventually be hopefully filled with a family, or it will at least be my home. And they, they want to say, it, it will be my castle. No one will tell me when to go to bed, when to wake up. I will, there's a goal. And what is the, what do they think all of this is going to produce? And listen, you can keep pushing that goal out, right? The, 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 the education, the job, the car, the house, the money from the job. What's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal, little ones, older ones, is that we think in the end the pot of gold is going to be happiness. We think at the very end, at the very end of that, that the end goal is joy. It's, it's actually what you've been made for. At the end of this, there is something that's going to, here it is, satisfy me, bring me some kind of contentment. You have, in everything that you do, that's the end of why you're doing what you're doing. You got up this morning. You got ready. Why did you get up this morning? To go to church. Why did you go to church? Because I think it's good. Why is it good? Because God said it's good. What do you think it's going to produce in you? I think it's going to produce in me, ultimately, making me like Christ. Ultimately, I will be like Christ. I will join. And you think the end of this is good because it will bring you happiness. Everything that you're doing, whether you're, whether you're enjoying it at the moment or not, its end goal is to bring you some kind of contentment. Purpose and happiness, they are linked together. In fact, when a person feels as though they have no purpose, that life is meaningless, they become unhappy. I, I don't know why I'm here. Nothing makes sense, and I am very unhappy. Then all of a sudden you start to get your life on a certain track that says, okay, we're going somewhere. Now I've got a job. I, my life seems more purposeful than when I didn't. You ever feel, when you don't, have you ever been unemployed? Don't you feel like the lowest scum on the earth? And just go, I, I'm a nobody now. Now I have no purpose in life because all of those things that, that work is supposed to give me, now they can't give me. The life that is directed toward to purpose is pursuing happiness. Not to go back to that Will Smith movie, but but it was a, wasn't it a big movie? The pursuit of happiness. This this man who was down in the dumps, who's just trying to what? He's just trying to make it and, and and feed his kid and and let his kid enjoy life. He thinks it's going to come though by some kind of of job that he's going to get that will get him off of the streets into a better home. And at the end of this, I don't know what the end of the movie, but I can imagine the end of the movie is something like what the front of the, the movie film, the thing looks like when he's just embracing the sun. He's smiling and there's a tear. Happiness is achieved. Or is it? <clears throat> Happiness is what we are constantly seeking because it's, it's what you've been made for. 
Happiness becomes the goal of everything. And therefore, everything that we pursue, we think, is good in that it will ultimately lead us to happiness. Everything that you do has a certain good attached to it. You with me? You do things that are, in your estimation, good because it will ultimately result in happiness. We have baskets of goods. I don't have a basket. This is not going to be an illustrated sermon, but imagine a basket and you think, let's put some goods in here. Exercise. That's good. I will put it in my good basket because it produces a kind of contentment in me. Family. Family is good. It goes in my good basket because it brings me a certain kind of contentment. Um, I don't care too much about nature. doesn't go in my basket. Reading. That's good. I'll put it in the good basket. All of these acts of pursuing good, they arise out of a fundamental, meaning it's in you, it's in you, thirst for what's good. Because the good is connected to the goal of happiness. Are you with me? Okay. In every action, we're seeking something that is perceived to be good. And the things that we don't think are good, we don't choose. We act according to that which we've been also enlightened to know is good. You act according to what you've been allowed to now know is good. So you got up this morning to go to church. While your neighbor is out watering their yard, playing whatever music out loud, washing their car. One person got up because they thought it was good to water the yard, play the music, wash the car. The other person right next door to you, which is you, you got up and you're dressed and you're dressed kind of nice because you're going to church. You're, you're pursuing a good. They're pursuing a good. Both of you have an aim of happiness. But one has been enlightened to one idea of happiness, a good and happiness. The other has been enlightened to another good and, good and happiness. Which one's better? Is it good to wash your car? Yeah. Is it good to play music? Sure. Is it the best good? Is it the highest good? Is it the best good on this particular day? Well, you've been allowed to know that. But there was a time when you were also out there in, I'll, I'll speak to the men, out there in your slingshot, right? And with the music playing loud, washing you. There was a time when you also thought that was good, and the person getting ready to go to church was making a foolish decision. <clears throat> There's a certain kind of reasoning that takes place when you're evaluating what is good, and the conclusion of greatest good will be informed by what kind of mind you have. A debased, depraved mind, or the mind of Christ. Meaning, there is a judgment that's taking place, and you are weighing out whether or not something is good, and what its ultimate end will bring you, you choose based upon what you perceive to be the highest good. Uh, I think it's good to be on at church at nine o'clock to pray. I've been encouraged. I'm going to just say it. I've been encouraging the church for years now, not for one month, for years. It's good to come to Sabbath school. It's good to come and pray. 
you have made a conscious decision that it's not it not that it's not good that we're doing it you have just made a decision that you're not going to do it decisions are based upon goods if you thought it was for you you would do certain things to prepare so that you would be there and enjoy the good i know that's going to make some people upset it's just the reality all the decisions that we are choosing are based upon a good that we perceive to be good that will ultimately bring us happiness. So when we don't choose a thing, we say, I don't think it's good. I don't think it's going to produce in me these good things. We might believe it, but to believe it and to act upon it are two completely different things. You say you love me, right? You, my, the wife might say, you say you love me, but you're not showing me. But you know I love you. Well, then show me. Are you with me? Happiness, what is it? What is happiness? <clears throat> it's blessedness. It's beatitude. It is, <laughs> it's, it's such a difficult concept. Not, not a difficult word, it's a difficult concept. But in short, it's a state of being. Happiness is a state of being. It's, it's a state of contentment, which we would call blessed. We are purposeful people. We want to flourish. We want happiness. We perceive the goodness of a thing and evaluate it. Let me take myself. I look at a chocolate chip cookie or a pie and I conclude that it's good. I believe that when I eat it, it will produce in me a state of being that will result in happiness, contentment. The end of the chocolate chip cookie is contentment. Listen. Unless I eat 10 chocolate chip cookies. Now I'm not content. Now I'm discontent. Because my action toward the thing was not good. The end of my act toward the thing was not good. I overindulged. I did too much of the thing that is good. Because I thought that I would find my greatest good if I just kept going into it. Maybe another cookie. Maybe another cookie. Maybe another one. Maybe another one. And then finally I go, I overdid it. I thought that if I just kept going, I would find everything I'm looking for in this. And instead, it backfired on. It betrayed me. The good that is good betrayed me when I gave my whole self to it. Seeing it as the greatest and highest good. Good, but when I gave my whole self to it, it betrayed me. And said, nope, I'm not actually the highest good. <clears throat> we get up to work. We go to work because we have to, right? No, you're doing, you actually, you don't have to get up to go to work. You, you actually could choose, no, I'm not going to work today. But you won't do that, will you? You might do it once, go, I'm calling in sick, even though I'm not sick. Hey, hey, hey. Right? <laughs> But when you actually say, I'm not going, I refuse to go, you know that there's going to be a result. The result is going to, to not end in good. That is, you will lose job, you will lose money, bills won't be paid. The result will ultimately for you say, it's unhappiness. I won't be able to pay the life bill. Um, happiness also comes when it's nice and cool in my house, like it is today in this church. We last Lord's Day, Pastor Isaiah, poor Pastor Isaiah, he only had a few more buttons before we were saying, okay, brother, um, 
It was hot in here. We experienced what it, it feels like for it to be now be cool in here. But if bills aren't paid, then we go back to all of us saying it's really hot and fanning ourselves, right? My point is this. We do things for a purpose. We're aiming at happiness. And I use this analogy of a basket. We'll get into our second point, which will be shorter. Can you just have one thing in your basket, one good thing? Not, not one thing that is so good that you don't care about all the other things, but one thing that encompasses and includes all the other things so that, it, listen to this, it orders everything below that one grand thing. Can you have this one thing in this basket of goods that's the best good and that all the other goods come under? It's a goal that we will want to fulfill. But is there a most powerful good that deeply motivates all the other goods and all your actions so much so that it drives you forward to keep pursuing that one good that will ultimately bring you what you want? Happiness, blessedness, perfect contentment. The question as we move forward into this sermon is simply this. What's the most powerful thing in your life that, mo that motivates you? What's the most powerful good in your life? What's the most powerful thing that good that drives your actions and drives you forward? What is it? Who is it? Well, let's see if we can drive toward. Now, we've gone low. Let's start going up. Where to find it? Where to find happiness? This is Revelation 21 and then 17, uh, Psalm 17, 13. <coughs> we have a number of good in our, number of goods in our baskets. What's the best good? The thing that deeply motivates us all. Now, here's some options. Now, Pastor, I, say, I, I was sitting there. I could have had a hundred different things, but let's just su su summarize them to three, okay? Wealth and prosperity. This is a, a 2A. If you're taking notes, 2A. Wealth and prosperity. Will money, prosperity, make you happy? Money's interesting. Because we all want it. If you say you don't... Let's do this. Does anybody want... You have... We all have money. Does anybody want more money? All of us will say, Yes, I do. We might not say it with our lips, but we are definitely, if we're honest, saying it in our hearts and in our minds. We all affirm we want more money. Now let's ask the question. Money. To do what with? What are you going to do if you had more money? Think about it. Let's pause for a second. Let yourself daydream for a second. Let's say you had ten times what you have right now. What would you do with it? Someone said, might say, I'll just save it. You're on all of, all of us. If you're honest, maybe you're more sanctified than me. Maybe you're saying, I just put it away, brother. Give it to the church. I start investing in, in missions. Maybe you're more sanctified than me. That's fine. I'll grant that. Most of us are automatically thinking of what we would, what we would buy. Let's try just a house. I would fix up my house. I have two burners on my stove that had not been working since 1972. I'd like them to work again. My wife would be so happy by that, right? I'd fix the burners. Let's take a house. I'd buy a new house. Let's take the house. 
I'd buy someone else a house. Let's take a house. I'd put more things in my house. What will, what will the, the goal, what will the end result be if all those things were true? Fix the house, bought a new house, bought someone else a house, put more things in my house. Will you then be happy? Will it have achieved for you perfect contentment? For a time, to be honest, it will. You will walk into your house and go, yes, love it. Uh-oh. But now we run into a problem. Because if it's a new house, it needs furniture. Unless you use the furniture from your old house, but you're going to want new furniture to match the new house. Oh, what about appliances if it's a new house? Well, let's just take this. What about food in the house? What about clothes as you're walking around your new house? What about heat and air? You see, money does one thing to, to the house, but then you still need more money to fill the house, to fix the house. To buy someone else a house. And maybe someone else wants another. Maybe you bought mom a house. Now brother wants a house. The point is that money is good. It is good. We're, we're all using money for a proper use. We all need it. But it's not the, it's not the, the pot at the end of the rainbow. It's not the thing that will bring you lasting, eternal, perfect happiness. It's good. It cannot be the thing that's most powerful and that, that drives us onward because it only satisfies for a time. There is only so much things that you can buy if you had all the money that eventually you go, I'm, I'm still not satisfied. I still want more. Luke, 6, Luke chapter 12, if you would turn there with me, please. Luke chapter 12. And verse 16. Someone in verse, verse starting in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide his family inheritance with me. But he said to them, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, verse 16, chapter 12 of Luke. The land of a rich man was very productive, and he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, I will build larger ones, and there will be, then there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say, listen to who he said, listen to who he, who he speaks to. Then I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for years to come. Soul, take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. God's response, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now you will own who will own what you have prepared. So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Saints, money will not be able to satisfy. Because all of the things that money does for us in sustaining us or all of the things that we acquire through money will one day be stripped away from us. In Luke chapter 16, the Lord Jesus tells a parable of a rich man in Lazarus. 
at the end of the rich man's life, he has, in his life, he has good things. He's dressed finely. He enjoys the, the best of life. But then eventually, in hell, or, or Hades, or the place of suffering, he's separated from those goods. They, and this is an old cliche, but it is true, they don't get to travel with him to the place of the dead. Instead, they are left behind. And someone else owns the car. Someone else owns the house. All of the things that we put so much time and effort and energy pursuing belongs to someone else now. And you and I are separated from them. Money, prosperity. When I say prosperity, I'm just thinking about things. House, cars, whatever thing, trinkets. They don't satisfy. They do for a moment but not ultimately and finally, and not perfectly. Rich man dies, and he is separated from this. It's good. Is money good? Yes. It, it, it can be placed in the basket of goods. It's a means for providing other things that we need, and that we can enjoy. But it can't be the most good in our lives. Um, can I say to you this? Parents, if you're teaching your children, go get money, stop it. If you're teaching your children, make that money, Stop it. Push them to Christ. Push them to Christ. Tell them, it's good that you make money, son. It's good that you make money, daughter. But know this, only Christ will satisfy you. Know this, only Christ can fulfill you. What's the other thing? What's another option? Relationships. Prosperity, money is one. Relationships is another option. By relationships, I mean marital relationships, parental relationships, and social relationships. And even relationships we find in the church. All of these are good. Marriage is a divine union. It's a divine institution of God. God instituted marriage. Husbands are to love their wives and lead them in the ways of the Lord. Wives are to love their husbands and submit to their leadership as helpmates. This union of man and woman is to be cherished, guarded, and it is good. Is it the most good? Through this divine union, God does another good thing, which he has ordained through the union of man and wife, reproduction. That is, having children. Having kids is good. It is good to have kids. We know this. Uh, kids can be the joy of a relationship between, parent, between husband and wife. They can be a great joy to them. The relationship to the, to the child, a husband, or to the parents and child is to be a healthy one. Parents calling their children to seek the Lord, to give Him proper honor. Parents are to model to their kids the kind of life that they want their children to live, which is to honor God. Children are to honor their parents. This is a commandment that comes with a promise of a long life. Friends, we all have friends. Some of our friends are closer than our family members. We make them along the way of our, of our journey in life. We encounter people that are like us and unlike us. And we create these bonds with them in spite of not having similar DNA. Sometimes our, our bonds with them transcend DNA. They're greater than the love that I have for a brother or sister physically. And also relationships in the church. These are most unique because God, through Christ, binds us together. Listen, are these all good? They are. All of these are good. 
protected, cultivated, we must do with these relationships. Cherish these relationships. But they can't be our highest good. Why? Because they're all, except for one, they're all temporal. Matthew 22, our Lord explains that in the new creation, people will be like angels who don't marry or are given in marriage. You won't be getting married in heaven. And the person that you're married to now won't be your wife or husband then. Instead, our marriages will be elevated to an even greater sense of union. Our marriages will be also fulfilled as we see Christ, as we are joined to our bridegroom. But then our relationships will be elevated to even to an even greater sense of what they are now. If you love your husband and wife, love them, cherish them, and, and appreciate this, that your relationship with them in heaven will be even better and even greater than what it is now. It will be defined on a completely different playing field. Our children, they have been given to us not forever, but for a time. Therefore, we must not idolize our children. They must not be our end-all, be-all. We must not love our children with a greater love than we love our spouses. It's a different love, but it can't be a greater love. We can't say, I love you, husband, but I really love you, son or daughter. That's idolatry. We also can't do for our children things that would take them away from that which we, if we were believers, know is the highest good. If, if you believe, and I'm already giving, giving away the point, if you believe that, that Christ is the highest good, then never do anything that takes your children away from that highest good and push them toward things that are, that are saying, I'm, I'm better than Christ, and you go, yeah, go to those things. When you know those things will take them away from Christ rather than draw them to Christ. It's your responsibility, a parent, if you are a believer, to push them to Christ, not pull them away. And it's the temptation of what the world says is happiness and success that causes us to be deceived. To say, yeah, go that way instead of towards Christ. I have a sibling. Well, my older brother worked in the White House, was an intern under Bill Clinton, worked in one of the, the, the most successful businesses, Yum! Brands, that owned Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and so-and-so and so-and-so. Being pushed toward this success, being told, uh, being praised in different places that we would go to of his, of his successes. And yet all the while losing his soul for the success of the world. Children, push your kids to Christ. Ask them about, ask them, do they believe in Christ? Here's the thing you should be asking them. Do you want to get baptized? Do you believe in Christ? And they say, yes. Ask them, would you like to be baptized? What does that mean? Explain to them. Here's another question that is difficult to ask them. Son or daughter, when you were out of the house, would you still go to church? Or will you leave all of this behind? Here's a good question to ask them. What about now? 
Do you desire God? Are you just are you just making me drag you along? Because their answer is going to be very telling about how you can evangelize them, how you can do better as parent. Because you're the parent, they're not. You, you lead them. They don't get to just go wherever they want. They don't have the car yet, right? You're leading them. Guide their soul to Christ. Yes, I know God is sovereign over salvation, but you have a, you have been charged with the responsibility of bringing them at least to the cross. Saying, here is where greatest joy is found. Here is where salvation is found. Be diligent in that. You have them for a time. You're, they are arrows that, that have been put into your quiver that you are to shoot forth for the glory of God. Don't allow them to just fall. Spring them forward in Christ. Be persistent. And also know this, and they're watching our lives as well. We love them. You really love them. You would do anything for them. Push them to Christ. That's the greatest thing you can do for them. Push them to Christ. But they can't be our highest good. They can't be where we find our highest good. Listen, I love Nazareth. I love Selah. I love Azariah. I, they, every day I'm amazed by them. But I can't be more amazed by them than the one who made them. David said in Psalm 17, listen to what he says about unbelievers and the wicked. He says, from men of the world, unbelievers, whose portion is in this life, who find joy in this life, Whose belly you feel, God. God says, David says, you let them have these good things. You let them be filled with treasure. He says, they're satisfied with their children. The unbeliever. They're satisfied with this life, the treasures of this life, and their children. And think that the greatest joy is leaving abundance to their kids. Can I say to you, parent, if you don't leave your child a dollar... When you pass from this life. But you leave them Christ and his word. You leave them more than anything this world could ever offer them. I'd like to leave them a car. Leave them Christ. I'd like to leave them a house. Leave them Christ. Know that when you've departed from this life, you have done your due diligence to lead them to Christ. Don't leave them a pot of gold. If you do, fine. That's good. But don't make that the thing that you most treasure about what to leave them. Leave them Christ. Men of the world find their highest joy in the things of the world. Friends cannot be the highest good. They're temporal relationships. They give us a sense of the good and kindness of God, the friendship of God, but they can't be our highest good. I need to move really quick. I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff. Pleasures. This is where I, I could have filled in a hundred different things, but this is where you fill in the blank. This is the part of the sermon where you and I fill in the blank. So many things that we can find pleasures in in this life. Pleasure of winning. Pleasure of eating food, enjoying a day at the beach, see, uh, seeing a good movie. We find pleasure in those things. Studying something and finally getting it. Pleasure in giving and receiving. You fill in the blank of where those pleasures are. Pleasure is not opposed to happiness. The trick is finding out what are the right pleasures. And aiming at the good that you can get from them as a result. Which aids to the final good. 
to the most good. Sin deceives us. What is lower in us attempts to rebel against what is higher in us. Our bodily passions push us towards something that our mind knows is not right, which is why we've been given new minds. So that body and soul can act in conjunction with what we know is right and what we know will ultimately bring us to the highest good. Let me close with this. This is point number three. I'm going to just summarize it very quickly. Our supreme happiness is found in God. We have all these goods. The highest good is God. All of the goods fall under that. The highest good is God. All of the goods fall under that. They're good. You can't, you don't need to, so throw my family out of my basket. Stop. No, keep them in. But see them as ultimately God is my highest good and God helps me to attend to all these things in a proper way. All of these things, all of these things. Who made you? God made you. Why? For his glory. Why are you, why do you exist? Younger ones, you exist. Older ones, for happiness. Where is it going to be found? In God alone. Your supreme, ultimate, complete happiness will be found in God alone. And it will be fully realized. You have it now. It will be fully realized when you behold Christ and receive that blessed beatific vision. Pastor Isaiah is going to talk more about that next week. You have joy now. It will be increased. You have peace now in Christ. It will be increased. You have, you have um, love and happiness now. It will be increased when you behold him. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them. They shall be his people and God himself will live among them. God is our ultimate joy. God is our ultimate source of blessedness. Find your greatest joy in God. All those things are good. Not better than God. And if you believe that, then order your life. That is the things that you give time and energy and attention and and, um, income to. Order your life in such a way that says, my highest good is found in God. Let's pray.